This is Joel verses 1 1 to 2 17. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What locust swarm has left? The great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left? The young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left? Other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving the branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Put on sackcloths, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. The grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders, all who live in the land, to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm, the alarm on my holy hill, that all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes, before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste, nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over their mountain tops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish, every face turns pale. They charge like warriors, they scale walls like soldiers, they all march in line, not swerving from their course. They, they do not jostle against each other, each marches straight ahead, they plunge through defences without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city, they run along the wall, they climb into the houses like thieves they enter through the windows. Before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army, his forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful, who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, 
with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing and oppressed. Leave the bridegroom, leave his room, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Well, that was a cheery reading. Thanks, Mark, so much for reading. Let's pray as we and I most definitely need God's help as we dive into the book of Joel. Heavenly Father, passages like this are uncomfortable to hear and to teach, but you've given them to us because we need to heed their warning. As we look at this tricky passage, please give us ears to hear and soft hearts that are ready and willing to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you recognise a warning sign when it comes to you? On the morning of the 26th of December 2004, Tilly Smith, aged 10, was with her family on the Maokau beach of Phuket. As Tilly and her mum went down to the water, Tilly noticed that the sea looked bubbly and frothy, a bit like the top of a beer. And this image triggered some memories for her. Just two weeks earlier, Tilly had been in her geography class and they'd been watching a video about the Hawaii tsunami of 1946. She recognised the same warning signs just minutes before the deadly wave hit. The tsunami is coming, Tilly shouted. We need to run. Her mum, Penny, had also noticed the strange phenomenon, but thought nothing of it and thought it must just be a bad day at sea. So she didn't take much notice. Needing to convince her mum somehow, Tilly screamed, if you're not coming, I'm going to leave you. Penny gave in. They both ran to Tilly's dad, who alerted the lifeguard, who evacuated the tourists from the beach. It was a wise decision, as just minutes later, the killer wave showed up. Over 100 people who'd been on the Maokau beach that day were saved because Tilly alone recognised the danger. Very few things happen in life without any warning. It's just that often the signs are obscure or, or, or opaque, meaning that we can often miss them. Heart attacks, for instance, take many people by surprise because they don't recognise the symptoms. And that's particularly for women, in fact. Likewise, the majority of car breakdowns are preceded by warning signs, but too often drivers just miss them or ignore them. And similarly, with God's final judgment, many of us will be caught off guard when it comes, 
not because there were no warnings, but because they failed to pay attention to the signs. At the start of the book of Joel, we are brought face to face with a terrible day in Israel's history, a day of destruction and devastation, the day of the locusts. But what's most shocking about the day is not the awfulness of the day itself, horrific as it is, but the fact that it's giving a warning of a far worse day to come, a truly dreadful day, the day of the Lord. Today's passage is most certainly chilling. I find it hard to hear. And in chapter two, wonderful promises do come. So please do come back next week. But just like the hard-hitting drink-drive TV campaigns, which convinced me as a 17-year-old to never drink and drive, today's passage is equally hard-hitting, designed to convince us that God's judgment is serious, so we can't ignore it. Our Our passage splits into two parts, and we're going to look at it under two points. So our first point Wake up and weep, for the day of the locusts has come. And that's verses one, chapter 1, verses 1 to verse 14. We know very little about the book of Joel and when it was written. In fact, verse 1 gives us the only details that we know, that it's the word of the Lord and his father was called Petuel, and we don't know anything about his father. The lack of specifics seems quite deliberate, and certainly adds to the timeless relevance of the book, a warning for all ages. And as Joel begins, there's a real urgency to his message. He not only calls the elders to listen up, but all who live in the land, verse 1, who are to pass the message to their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and their great-great-grandchildren. Four generations are mentioned. Why? because it was such a terrible day of total destruction, a day like no other, verse two. And Joel is determined that the horror of this day and what it points ahead to will not be forgotten. And what a terrible day it was, complete decimation. Nothing was left untouched, verse four. The locusts were like an unstoppable army without number devouring everything in their path. Verse 6. I don't know if you're a David Attenborough fan. Actually, who isn't a David Attenborough fan? But if you've ever watched the episode of Planet Earth 2, when the locusts swarm in Madagascar, you will appreciate the sheer scale and devastation of a locust invasion. In the episode, a super swarm extending over 200 miles and containing several billion locusts, stripped the land of all vegetation, destroying over 40,000 tonnes of food in a day. Bear in mind that the average American eats a tonne of food in a year. And the closest we come to this in the UK is a run on toilet rolls during the pandemic. But this would be like finding every supermarket shelf decimated by an angry mob with no new supplies arriving anywhere. And the impact was universal. 
No one was left unaffected. Even the drunkards are being told to wake up from their drunken stupor and face reality. Verse 5. Similarly, the farmers are left despairing as their livelihoods are in tatters. Their barley and wheat, their fig trees, their pomegranates, their apples, all destroyed. Even the priests, who you might assume exempt, are in mourning as the grain and drink offering has been cut off. Verse 9. And this is serious, as without the sacrifices, they could not approach God. They had no means of atoning for their sin. The end of verse 12 sums up the sheer horror. Surely the people's joy is withered away. At this point, it's important to give some context. What's happening here is no ordinary natural disaster, but something that is unique to Israel at the time. When the people of Israel were due to enter the promised land, God made a covenant with them, an agreement, promising to bless them if they obeyed his commandments, but to bring curses on them if they disobeyed him. In Deuteronomy 28, one of the curses mentioned is locusts, swarms of them, in fact, taking over their crops and trees, devouring the harvest. So the day of the locusts was a direct result of their disobedience, making it absolutely appropriate for them to mourn, to put on sackcloth, and to cry out to God. But for us, God doesn't make the same connection. When something goes wrong in our lives, it's not always a direct consequence of something that we've done wrong. Rather, it's often a result of living in a broken, fallen world. In fact, in Luke 13, Jesus states very clearly that when 18 people die in silence because a tower fell on them, that they were no more guilty than anyone else. But Jesus still uses this tragedy to warn them that they need to fix their relationship with God before it's too late. And similarly today, God uses events in our lives and the world as a means to warn us too. So how should we respond when life goes wrong, when elections don't go our way, when we lose our job, get sick, or something bad happens? Well, we too should cry out to the Lord. There really is no better place to go. But we also need to hear the wake-up call. It's very easy, well, I certainly find it very easy to ignore God when things are going well. But when trouble hits, our need for God becomes so much clearer. As C.S. Lewis very famously said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And the reason we all need rousing is the reality that the day of the Lord is near. Verse 15. So our second point, return and repent 
for the day of the Lord is near. And that's from 1 verse 15 uh, to the end of our passage. Recently, I managed to burn some toast, triggering the smoke alarm. How quickly I responded, standing on a chair, kind of wafting vigorously like a mad woman, desperate for it to stop. Why do these alarms have to be so ear-piercingly loud? But the reason it is so loud is so that we don't ignore them. It's impossible, and that's very helpful when your house is burning down. And similarly, in verse 2-1, the trumpets are being blown. The alarm is being sounded on the holy hill as God doesn't want them to miss that the day of the Lord is coming. And the image given of what it will be like is truly awful. In verse 2-2, we see creeping darkness and gloom spreading over the whole land. It's accompanied by fire that sweeps through, devouring everything in its path. And alongside the fire in verse 2 to 11, the mighty army comes into view, paralleled with the locusts, causing maximum damage and fear. The fact that the description seems to go on and on and on is no mistake. It really is relentless. It's almost like some sci-fi army charging like warriors as they scale walls, march in line, not swerving from their course, verse 7. It's like special forces on steroids. And as a result, every face turns pale as the colour drains away. And the biggest shock comes in verse 11. It's the Lord himself who is leading the army. And knowing that, we're left with the terrifying question, who can endure it? And the answer is that by ourselves, no one, there's no avoiding it. Each one of us has rebelled against God, not loving him and obeying him as he's told us, putting ourselves and other things like our career, our reputation, and our family first, instead of him. And God warns us that because of this, he is coming to judge. And it pains me to say, it really will be awful. But, and this is a big but, so if you've tuned out, please listen and tune back in. But before we despair, Huge comfort can be found in the fact that the person leading the charge is not some out-of-control maverick, but the gracious and compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. Verse 13. In fact, wonderfully, even now, he is delaying his return to give more people the chance to hear this warning and to repent and to turn back to him so they do not have to face this terrible day. As a perfect and just God, God cannot just overlook human rebellion. And actually we wouldn't want him to, as that would make him unjust. But wonderfully, out of love and grace, he entered the world as Jesus Christ, 
to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to face this terrifying day of judgment ourselves. When Jesus was crucified, deep darkness covered the whole earth from noon until three in the afternoon as God poured out his wrath on the Lord Jesus instead of on us. The torment and pain of being separated from his father would have been unbearable, but amazingly, he endured it for you and for me. Incredibly, the Lord who judges also gave his life to save us by facing God's judgment for us. Let me just say that again. The Lord who judges also gave his life to save us by facing God's judgment for us. So if you're here and you have not yet repented, please hear that it's not too late to turn back to God. As verse 12 says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. But please don't delay thinking you'll get around to it one day when things get a bit less busy. There's an urgency to respond now. None of us know how long we've got. In verse 16, even the nursing mum and newlyweds, who might very legitimately have been otherwise engaged, are told that there's nothing more pressing to do. And for those of us who have repented, who are trusting in the Lord Jesus today, let's give thanks as we recognise what God has rescued us from. When we realise what God has saved us from, God's grace is even more sweet. When When the day of the Lord comes, wonderfully, we will endure because of what Christ has done for us. And knowing this, let's keep returning to God with all our heart. Let's remember his warning and avoid complacency. None of us grow out of needing to repent, so why don't we turn back to him afresh today? Next time, we will see the wonderful blessings and hopes that are available to all who trust in Christ, so please do come back then. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your compassion and grace to us. Thank you that Christ died to take the terrible judgment that we deserve. And that really is the most wonderful news. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.